Hey, welcome to episode 62 of Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you today. In this episode, Keith and I are discussing really what happened with Dune. From all the conversation we're having and even Keith's own viewing of it in his home, by the way, uh, everyone's telling us it's a great picture with a great story, but people are not showing up and spending the money in the theaters. So clearly something is moving and shaking. We discussed that, we asked, asked questions about the new storylines and new story opportunities there are in different platforms, something like NFTs maybe. And lastly, there's a tweet from Derek Thompson that Keith explores and the impacts of what's happening, what's evolved since the 1990s, and maybe some forethought into what's happening coming up in Hollywood. That and many more, stay tuned for episode 62, Hollywood Breaks. I have some surprising news for you, Keith. Should I be nervous? <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is this won't surprise you. I know ah, three people that saw Dune. That's not surprising. You saw yeah. oh, four people. So this might not be a surprise to you. Three out of three I... people said Dune is a pretty awesome movie. They are they are loving it. They the, mm -hmm. some people who don't aren't familiar with the story at all. Mm. Thought it, it was original, original yes. which it is the original original. Um, but they say the cinematic experience is, was worth the effort of sitting next to one other person in the theater watching the movie with you. <laughs> and smell, no one's smell going. Popcorn. The smell of popcorn, Tim. <laughs> popcorn. Gotta have the smell of popcorn. But no one's, popcorn. <laughs> no one's going to the movies. It's apparently a I great know. film. It is exactly what they they said it was. It's worth the cinematic experience. And mm -hmm. still no one's showing up. Uh, well, here's the thing. Like I, I'll full disclosure and my apologies to Denny, but I, I saw it on HBO max because I was at home. Dude, you're such well, a wait, cheater. Let me finish. You can't. Like, okay. <laughs> let me finish, dude. Let me get out my story here. Okay. All right. So all right, all right. for those of you who don't know me personally, I have two young children. We've been blinkered to death by the, in terms of babysitters by COVID. Uh, so we have none basically. And you know, going to the movies is next to an impossible task for me. So I have to find moments where I can actually watch new material. So it just happened to be an, on a night when my wife had a late meeting. And she was, you know, actually the meeting was in person. So she was out of the house. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch this because I want to watch it before it disappears. And I have to actually pay for it. Well, I actually pay for it but because I get HBO Max. But... And I will say, within about 15 minutes in, I was like, damn, this is a pretty good movie. <laughs> I, 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 was, I, was, I was in. Like, and I knew, I didn't know the story. Like, I know, I know about Dune only because, you know, I know a lot about film history. And, you know, obviously the David Lynch version is notorious and celebrated for its weirdness because, of course, it's David Lynch. And I, and I know that um, sci-fi did a series a few years back, which is pretty much the bar in terms of adaptations of Dune and inspired Star Wars. And you can kind of see the inner workings of it. Yeah. But coming into it, like not knowing really any of the story, because I didn't know the story of Dune. I mean, I've heard of it, obviously. And a gentleman I used to work with at uh, New Line, who was a major genre geek, was really my only introduction into Dune and like what a great movie it was. Yeah, you have to be like blah, 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 blah. deep into sci-fi yes. to want to do the Dune thing. Yes. But it, but. And, it's, and, I mean, it, 
it, it, it is ultimately the classic hero's journey. Yeah, that's that's right. what it is. It's yeah. man with a thousand faces. It's it's that whole you know hero's journey that inspired Star Wars, and obviously uh, Frank Herbert, who I believe is the name of the author, obviously took it to the you know also you know embrace that that journey. And I, I you know listen, I was impressed. I, I you know it was beautifully shot. There were moments when I was like, okay, he's doing this because it's on the big screen. <laughs> he yeah. wants it to be seen in a big screen, and this shot is solely for that purpose. He, he, there that's were a couple he, he characters. He made a movie. He didn't make an right. HBO Max right. TV show. That's Unlike very, some consumers yes. that don't go to the movie theater, they watch it on HBO. Well, Max. yeah, I just okay, think like so, you kind of you kind of like blew the mo here, man. Like. Here we are talking about people getting back in the theater, and this is the finally the picture that was the yes, but it isn't an benchmark. Isn't. But here's but here's the big problem: it isn't and isn't. And we talked about this when Robin was on. It's a sci-fi, very genre film, and I can't take my wife to that movie. She's I, here, not going to go to that movie. Here's my here's my takeaway though, because it was my wife and my kid has seen it. Somebody that uh, at work that was heavily into Dune you know drove hours to find the right theater to see it so that spectrum is you know again i three people but i feel like back in the day as we often say here at hollywood breaks um if there's a good movie like that out in the theaters uh, word of mouth would have got people to show up because even all the things you're saying are true having no experience with it or having um you know a, a premiere experience with it um once you apparently when you see this film, it's one that you like, but the the initial push is so slow that the uptake is just not going to happen. Obviously, to get people to show up in the theaters, and clearly, as you're saying, you know, you, you saw it on TV, which is fine, but um, it's there's a theatrical or cinematic quality to this that yes. you would want to be able to see in a theater. Yeah. So that's where if we say Hollywood is breaking. It's breaking in that moment where the word of mouth doesn't have legs anymore. Does it just doesn't? No. Well, doesn't I mean, go anywhere. And, and the evidence backs us up. And I talked a little bit about this in my newsletter this past week, Founders Brew. So those this is a very good newsletter, subscribed. by the way. Oh, yes. thank you. I am a subscriber. Oh, you are? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, well, yes. that's a pleasant surprise. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I went to visioncraftbrew.com and I subscribed. I I subscribed oh. at visioncraftbrew.com. Well, there you go. Um, so, uh, I talked a little bit cause I do a section of the newsletter. It's called hit and miss hit or miss. And this week I use Dune as sort of like a hit and a miss. And I say it's a hit because it's, it's, it's a well thought of movie. The online chatter about it was wo- like overwhelmingly positive, but the box office was a disaster. I, I mean, I'm sorry, 40 million, $41 million on a movie that big. And, you know, they're throwing all these, oh, 160 million production costs. BS. I guarantee they spent more than that. Um, and, you know, not they to mention. To. Uh, Can you imagine? 100 million uh, on probably P&A. And, if they would have okay, made 700 so, million in the box office, they the studio would have elevated the cost so that they didn't have to pay, pay the, the back end deal part of it. So, yeah, it's. I mean, it's, yeah. it's funny shady. accounting in Hollywood. <laughs> yes, it's shady studio accounting. Matt Belliani yes. just put out his newsletter this yesterday, and he was like breaking it down. 160, 100, it's over 300, so that's obviously a win. I'm like, not really. Like, yeah. we don't know if these numbers are real. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, this is all spin. And but that's it really, why I like, said, what, what was missing in the push to get what, us into the theater? What, I think, what was missing? Because I, I think 
I think what it was somewhat what Robin nailed. I think a portion of it was what Robin discussed was sort of like it is a very like when when I when the first trailer came out, she and I had a conversation about this movie and and I was like, who is this movie for? Because this is such a genre specific movie, and clearly this is a movie that Danny walked in and said, I want to make Dune. Full stop. I want to make Dune. And I don't know if anyone at Legendary or anybody at Warner said, okay, great, Danny. Who is this movie for? Yeah. I don't care. So I just want to make Dune. You think the first marks is, is that the audience wasn't clear. I yes. thought Timothy Chalamet's fans were definitely being targeted. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, and it's it's like it's like he's got like the the boy band fan, the fan girls, like yeah. those are the people that want to see him because he's that, you know, that new type emo, sort of lanky dude who looks like he's twelve, and yeah, like listen, I, that's maybe part of it, but you have to broaden it out if you're going to spend that kind of money on a on that picture. You gotta get as many people in the theater so, as you possibly can, and I think they just lean so hard into the sci-fi aspect of it. And this gets, again goes to the idea of everyone inside the LA bubble. They're like, "Oh, I know Dune. I love Dune. This is what I love about Dune: the giant sandworms." And it's like, yeah, you know, Joe, Joe, and Jane Smith in Ohio are like, "What the hell is this?" Well, that's what I I'm thinking back. I, the I only really saw commercials trailers um for for the movie that had this had the worm moment in it you know where there is a need really if you're going to have a um pull out an audience to come out and see it there's a need to recast the story into different Mm storylines and get it let us get to know who the characters are what the story is what the aspects of the film are even i I know timothy chalamet is in it I don't even know what role he plays right now. If I were just watch the commercial, I, I know the storyline, but um, if I just watch the commercials, it's not, those items aren't very clear. So you're right. I think there is an engagement level missing, but why Keith, why would they have missed that obvious hit? Like they're trying to get people to go to the movies to watch this thing. I, I think a lot what of is it, it is that they believed was going to happen. Are they, is it like this, you know, like um, goofy, theatrical return to the theater Nicole Kidman commercial like are, are people just believing that if you make something look and sound and feel so huge people will show up at the movie theaters and not actually appeal to them the way you have to, to get them to get out of their car and walk into a theater and, and not watch it on their phone and not watch it on HBO Max and uh, things like that like we want to like I, I, mean, I don't know something's missing I, I, think, I think a lot of it is People are just stuck in doing things the same way. And I've talked a lot about this. You know, one, one of the subjects of my first newsletter was Hollywood is high school. And, and not to keep harping on the newsletter, but it kind of ties into this in that there are a lot of people who just kind of stuck in their ways and just sort of how things have always been done. And, you know, it, it, the inability to see the forest through the trees, really. And I think there were a lot of, like, there was one moment between Oscar Isaac and Timothy Chalamet when Timothy Chalamet's character is like, I don't want that ring. I don't want to be the Duke. And the father has a real nice moment with him. Is like, listen, if it's not for you, then you're still what you were always meant to be, my son. And it's like, wow, that is a great emotional beat. Where the hell is that in the material? Yeah, because they totally missed it. That, that is something that 
it they just sold the epic scale of it and like that's not enough anymore they were doing that before the, we did that on avatar this is a movie that has to be seen in the theaters like that was what uh, 10 years ago no more than that 12 yeah. years ago and they're still going back to that epic scale and i'm like that's not enough anymore you got to find original emotional beats and play it out cut a 30 second spot and just make it a scene and just well, be but, like boom and I mean, then the, t- the stories that are getting people to co- go right like i thought quiet place had a similar issue to dune which is it so much better in a th- theatrically yeah it's just it's more fun it's it's meant to be that way there's obviously the push to put it in the theater i'd say venom probably had that it's a superhero-esque movie Call mm-hmm. it, would you call it a superhero movie? I guess so. Yeah, um, sort of. So there it's are in people, that universe. Yeah, it's in that universe. Um, yeah. James Bond. I mean, there are these film experience, um, film experiences that are needed to consume some of the content that we have out there right now. And there's something funny to me about Doom. Uh, I the um, who what um, who was in charge of that? Who would have been the head of marketing? That uh, missed the beat on that. Probably would have been Josh Goldstein. Mm-hmm. Yes, Josh Goldstein. He's the From new Sony. head of... Moved Mar- over no, to- no, he was at Sony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then he was at Universal, and then there was a little bit of a thing, and now he's I'm back I'm going to call Josh. I'm going to ask him. And you- <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I'm pretty sure I have his cell phone number in my phone here somewhere. But listen, I, I don't, I don't want to sit here and beat up on marketing because I've been in those shoes, and there are so many... This is another problem with sort of theatrical marketing in general is there's so many cooks in the kitchen that want to have a say. So I'm sure Toby Emmerich had a say. I'm sure Mary Perrin had a say. I'm sure Denny had a say. Maybe even Timothy Chalamet had a say. He's a big enough star that maybe he has to look at materials too now. Like there are a lot of people who put their hands in the cookie jar and that can lead to sort of it. You end up trying to make something for everybody that it ends up not working for anyone, for well, nobody. You know, that's and interesting because that's, um, that's the problem. Uh, you know, the conversation we had with Allison earlier this week, um, Allison from Wildcard. Um, what we the, the conversation came up about testing, mm-hmm. and I was thinking how interesting it is. Is and and curious if we're testing something different nowadays. Are we pulling out the same testing scripts and the same scorecard we've we've had for, for years? Um, I'd love to know what the evolution is of, of testing because one of the things you want to do in marketing is just see like, is it, is it resonating? Will, would this inspire somebody if they watch this piece of marketing? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd be curious if that evolution is taking place because um, you're the one that asked the question, are movies are back, are back or not, right? Like we don't really know what's happening in movies. Um, yeah. I feel like the Halloween push is trying to get people to do something different with films. It's Halloween's the uh, films have definitely been picking up a lot in the last month or so. I just saw the one for, for Halloween. Is that the one? Yeah. Um, with, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's clearly some, some kind of like haunted house <laughs> theme of <laughs> let's do something, uh, and get people in the theaters next couple of weeks. But yeah, you're right. I, there is like an engagement with the crowd that says, Hey, just watch it. Instead of, hey, watch it in the theaters. Um, so, you know, I would say that the fact that you watched it on HBO Max is a win for for the studio. They would I mean, it, 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 is, it is because, you know, I, I'm, 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 in, I'm into it. I want to see the next one. And they greenlit the sequel. I'm a little, I, I, I think if 
the anything if any any opening i think they would have greenlit that unless it was like two million dollars a complete disaster they would have greenlit the sequel regardless legendary needs product warner brothers needs a franchise hello you know hbo max is probably going to have like five spin-off shows about dune then the dune universe so it, it i mean it was going to happen regardless of what the number was but the number is is not great it's a, it's a not a great number for what this movie was really meant to be which is a return like back to the idea of like the blockbuster 100 million no not 100 million plus but you know putting up numbers similar to like you know a marvel movie i mean that was what i think they really were hoping for um you know of course in the in classic hollywood spin they're going to spend the 41 million as a hit and well, of, but that's just the nature of the beast but and i would guess i would guess to say that the studios are investing in this um, need for films and recognizing that films can continue, but they wouldn't necessarily necessarily negotiate with the IATSE the way they did. Like there was a deadline, and they didn't they didn't call yeah. bluff. Mm-hmm. The studios didn't give up and say, you know what, we're going to change the rules anyway. We'll try something different. Yep. Um, so there are investments being made in this category. Um, so maybe the studios aren't giving up all the way, but I have a feeling that. There has to be a new conversation with the marketing and marketing teams out there to get a real sense of what does it mean to get someone in the theaters? Do we care if someone's in the theaters? Which theaters are going to are appealing to us? Like, you know, do we just aim for the large theaters and let the small ones die off? And then what is like the studio's responsibility in that momentum to get that to happen and not just skip and say, hey, on our OTT platforms, good enough. I mean, we talk about this every week, so. I know our listeners um, get that part of it, but I, um, the Dune thing to me is just so interesting because all the word of mouth I've heard is great. Like yeah. it would inspire me to go see the movie. The downside is, is that I've only heard it from three people and exactly it, I right. sh- it just can't, that's the wrong. The yeah, wrong I think there, is, is I, yeah, there are yeah, fans I, of Dune and they're not talking about it and they're not. Yeah, I think, I think again, this goes back to my conversation I had with Ron when that first trailer came out. Like, well, who is this for? And they hammered that genre audience and I think they showed up, but that's about it. And the numbers kind of reflect that. Now, we'll be interesting to see what, what this week does because in, you know, in most of the HBO Max uh, day and date releases over the past year, the second weekend has been an absolute disaster. It's dropped like 70, 60 to 70%, which is just not great when you're only looking at a $40 million opening weekend. Um, now, if the typical maximum of Hollywood holds true here, which typically is the opening weekend is marketing's job, the rest of the run is the movie's job, we'll see if their drop is not nearly as bad. And then that'll, that'll be a sign that maybe the word of mouth has spread beyond the genre audience and people are actually intrigued by it. I think they again. They just missed the 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 idea to sort of hit on the the eternal nature of the hero's journey and story and just a hero's journey in general. Like we kind of needed to see that. Like it would be nice to see that. One of the reasons Ted Lasso is so popular because it's actually positive. It's not negative, and the world is horrible, and people aren't pooping yeah. in buckets. <laughs> so it's but like Squid Game, man. Squid Game is pretty pretty intense. Well, Squid Game. And- Squid- but Squid Game is more – that is more of a viral sensation because people are talking about it and like, oh, my God, you got to see this. It's so crazy. But did we discuss this? these numbers? This is this is amazing numbers, right? So they got um, 4 million new subscribers or 
Uh, yeah, we oh, talk no, about 44, Netflix. Forty-four million new subscribers. We're talking on Netflix about Netflix because of Squid Games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which equals to them nine hundred million dollars. If each of those subscribers get the seventeen dollars a month subscription for twelve months, it's nine hundred million dollars mm-hmm. that Netflix makes off of just that one piece of content. Right. Um, that's a that's such a major win. That is such a huge number in comparison to <clears throat> yeah, the other but, numbers we're reading anywhere else. But but um, think about this, Tim. You know how much have they thrown out there to get something to stick? Well, like for sure, that's like, what. They caught lightning yeah. in a bottle here, and that, that, that's that's all well and good, and it's great, and it's 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 a worldwide hit. It's a global phenomenon, which is good for them, bully for them. But how much else have they created that has just completely <laughs> missed the mark? You throw enough crap at the wall, something is eventually going to stick. So yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. That's for sure. Um, what I love, by the way, is that it's a Korean. Um, Korean filmmakers put the storyline together. So yes. I love that part of it. It's yeah. the, the worldwide effort is beyond just popular around the world. Yeah. It yeah. actually was created somewhere else in the world and still yeah. popular. So yeah, um, it's I agree. fascinating. It's, it's, you know, I'm almost done watching that whole, the, the whole uh, I, ep- uh, series. I haven't even started it yet, but everyone keeps telling me I have to watch it. So in the interest Holy of cow. keeping up on pop culture, I probably should watch it yeah. at some point. There's got to be a formula <laughs> that whatever this formula is, they totally nailed it on this thing. Cause, um, yeah. Well, I think they just, you know, it, it's just one of those things. You just caps light, capture lightning in a bottle and everyone's talking about it and it just goes viral and. It, you, you, I mean, listen, you're probably going to see in another classic Hollywoodism is that people are going to be running to Korea and start buying up everything, <laughs> everything that comes out of there, hoping for another squid game. hits. <laughs> oh yeah. And no, right. It's so that, that uh, they want that re- we have that formula. That's what it's so yeah. ridiculous about it. Yeah. Follow what everybody else is doing because that, that worked for them. So it'll work for us. Um, so I'm going to New York next week. Am I going to see you there? Right. We're going to hang you out are for a little see bit. Me, yeah. Yeah. First time um, in I'm almost going to New two York years. For the, uh, be in Manhattan. How long? Two years, almost two years. Dude, first time, first time I've been on a train in almost two you years. You gotta. <laughs> I'm worried hey man, about you. You know, it's just like, this whole just, podcast is to get people out. I gotta get like this yeah, is you my. Out. You are my <laughs> my. Uh, I'm not my leading project. by example by any means <laughs> with regards to this at all. So. Anyway. But I'm going to New York next week because of the NFT NYC conference yes. that's happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think personally there's something pretty amazing happening in the NFT space. Um, it is almost invisible to most people on the planet. It's hard to to understand it. A lot of people understand NFTs as just uh, JPEGs that you could download, but instead you pay a million dollars for these JPEGs, right? That's what people, how they're trying to reconcile, like, what is this thing and how does this image work? Um, but there's a lot of storytelling happening just in this buying tra- and trading and selling of um, of these NFTs on, on these open platforms. Yeah, um, I say that because there's an, almost an evolution that's taking place that's invisible, again, to a lot of Hollywood and the Hollywood elite, right? I, even you and I ask questions often about film and TV and once or twice about video games. <laughs> um, but the video game market is truly, you know, a market unto itself and probably greater. No one's complaining or talking about the video game market dying off. It's it's growing and League of Legends world is happening right now to record numbers of audience. Um, but I say this because I think there are new platforms for storytelling. And when we talk about Hollywood, that's what we really want to talk about is 
where do the storytellers get a chance to to produce that good or act out that story? Um, and when the world is willing to take that on and be engaged in a conversation, just like Squid Game, um, I think that Hollywood is stronger for it. So maybe the shakeup is not all that bad for for this kind of momentum. You're totally right. The, the foolishness that the answer is go find, find another Korean television show <laughs> um, is not the answer. It's the story that made it work. And yes. that unique story and somewhat graphic version yep. of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's um, the world's, I almost feel like it's starting to open up for the story storytellers again. Yes, exactly. Um, and if anything, that's what I'm excited about. I know we can't see it in all the traditional places or people aren't coming to the movies, but um, to do it, but there is a lot of great stuff that is happening. And um, I think Hollywood needs to understand that and start embracing it. I think studios need to start understanding that, embracing what this trend is and, and how this thing evolves. Um, because it goes beyond just what the um, the agents of Hollywood are putting together, what the CAAs <laughs> and WMEs. The packaging, can, uh, package. that's right, packaging. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I I, I wholeheartedly agree, and I, you know, I've said this a few times on the podcast, but that's one of the motivations behind Vision Craft Brew is to find those storytellers and help guide them through all these things that are popping up and all these new avenues of getting your story out there. You know, I've had several conversations where people are like, how do I get my script in front of an agent? How do I get my, you know, how do I get my reel in front of a studio exec? And I'm like, you're, you're thinking small ball. Like there are so many opportunities out there that you don't necessarily need to do that to start out. You know, there's a, there's an insatiable need for content, which is great, which means there's more opportunity for storytellers. Now the challenge again is that there are a lot of Hollywood people that are sort of stuck in the same way. Nobody really wants to take a major risk anymore. Everyone's like, oh, is this part of IP? Is this is this an original story? Or if it doesn't follow any, if it feels like it offends some group, then no one's going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. I mean, so there's a lot of opportunity, but there's still an issue with a lot of people inside of Hollywood just being afraid to really be the groundbreakers they once were. Um, you know, this past week, I my son came home with a book, I Am Walt Disney, which is, a, they're great books. They're like I Am, and they're, they're, yeah, they're about great, great ordinary people doing extraordinary things is basically the tagline. So he brought in I Am Walt Disney, and I was reading that. I'm like, man, this guy was like a visionary. Like, he created animation out of nothing. Like, it was just like he invented this sort of beautiful you know, colorful world was snow white and it continued on through the years. And then he built Disney world and then he started Cal arts, which I had no idea that he was involved in that. Oh yeah. And then you look at what Disney's doing now and it's just sort of like the same thing over and over again. Like everyone's jumping up and down about the Buzz Lightyear Pixar teaser. I'm like, yeah, okay. But this is just another origin story, which is just the Disney line. So I am hopeful because there are that the idea that there are, stories outside of the traditional Hollywood space that are getting finally noticed. And with all the streamers, there's more opportunity. But again, there are still a lot of the same people who are just not, who don't want to be innovators, who don't want to take a risk, who don't want to risk failing. And I understand that, you know, because you have sort of, you want to be able to pay your mortgage and send your kids to school. I understand all of that. But then Hollywood's not the right place for you. It's well, that's not. my 
My the hope as Hollywood breaks too, that there are, it's breaking into something that is an evolution and change. Yeah. Much like the opportunity Disney was given because of when and how he got involved in the in mm-hmm. the entertainment industry yeah. and struggled a lot. Yeah, he was <laughs> like was living a out of lot car of struggle. for a while. And, you know, uh, it's like... Yeah, yeah. Sold everything multiple times to yes. make the next film or whatever. Yeah. But the uh, ultimately, they, they got to a point where he was the influencer in the marketplace because he did the work that needed to be done and kept on telling that story, kept on delivering over and over again. Um, I to- I think that that's the exciting part of being a content maker today is that if you could break away from worrying about the platform or the format that it's in and get into the storytelling aspect of it, it can be very exciting. C- clearly, eventually, Netflix can do a good piece of content <laughs> and keep people's attention. <laughs> And so at the point where, like, if Netflix could be successful once, imagine how many other people could possibly but, be successful. Correct me if process. I'm wrong, but wasn't Squid Game just an acquisition? They didn't make that I, in-house? It, it does say Netflix. It does say Netflix. Well, they all say Netflix production, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it was it was produced by Netflix. Like, it's just, it's owned by Netflix, basically. I, yeah, you're supposed to know this. Did they finance it or did they just acquire it? I, I, that I don't acquire, know. Right? I, I mean, yeah. obviously, I, I haven't done the due diligence in terms of Squid Game and it's... it's, it's, it's well, we do know that uh, Netflix around the world fruition. finances yeah. and buys content oh, yeah. and, and gives them content yeah. to the US, so... Yeah. Um, got to feed the beast, man. You got to feed the beast. Yeah. But yep. that's exciting. I think that's really cool about it. Tell me about this Derek Thompson tweet. <laughs> Well, it's a little heavier than, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of time left, but yeah. Um, so Derek Thompson is a writer for the Atlantic and he came out with a tweet, which I thought was fascinating. Didn't really get a lot of burn in the conventional press because why would it? Because it actually challenges, you know, basically Hollywood and their, their sort of dominant narrative. But it started off with this, like between the 1970s and 1980s, the share of sequels in Hollywood didn't change. Since 1999, it's basically been more sequels, remakes, and adaptions every year. And he has a chart that basically goes like this. So then he has four theories as to why, because people started responding. Uh, One was VFX matured and the industry shifted to sequels on an annual basis, often filmed back-to-back, Lord of the Rings, Matrix, Harry Potter. His response to this was probably the smartest version of in the long run, everything is downstream of a technology argument. So basically, like, technology became dominant, so it just made it more sense to just make sequels over and over again. Um, The second one was... uh, Hold on. Sorry. Which I I think there's something uh, interesting to just that argument right there because the fact that you can capture five years worth of someone's life in the character role and then make three or four films out of that, it's pretty awesome. Yep. The second one was the rise of prestige TV. And this goes to something that John Landgraf has often talked about is peak TV. Like there's just so much TV out there that it's hard. And, you know, also the distinguishing between what's a movie and what isn't. Mm. Um the 1990s happened to be when cable needed the uh, neared its financial apex and drew in big time showrunners, HBO obviously being one of the big ones, and that just over time it sucks original stories to the smaller screen, and that's a good that's a decent argument because also what happened with Netflix kind of came around and the third you know rather than having to squeeze two hour you know a a, a thirteen hour you know saga into two hours, 
you turned it into a 13-hour show that people could just binge. So that was another one. And by the way, HBO is the platform for Warner Brothers, like the evolution. Yeah. We even sequelized the name of the, the distributor. Yeah, exactly. HBO became exactly. HBO Max. It's a sequel right. to the original. Yeah. And then the third one is um, as marketing costs for films grew, it pushed studios towards safer projects, which I think this is the more the 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 reality. I think that we're really this is the I think the the reason that we're seeing more and more sequels is the, 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 the trying to get an audience to show up just became more and more expensive with more and more content, more and more things driving your attention, your phones. There's just so much that you can consume that theaters just were starting to become like an afterthought. Um, and it was a big, so it's it was less risky to yeah. reinvest in a character, that you know, people like, yeah. and it was late nineties was an inflection point in studios choosing fewer, bigger, familiar, Mm-hmm. over more small original which yeah the whole not, unicorn theory like you can yep. you can uh, invest in bigger so you invest the entire marvel universe instead of just spanning out right, and do right right like, and you already have a built-in or, audience much like with dune but again that movie was made for that audience and they didn't really yeah. expand it beyond that audience um and then the fourth one i think is kind of funny and i think it does play and it's called the phantom menace theory it's like I have some fondness for the idea that the Phantom Menace had a kind of Roger Bannister effect on Hollywood, showing that you can break land speed records for shitty, familiar and, uh, and shitty, f- shitty familiarity, and the audience will show up in droves. And obviously, the first three Star Wars kind of played into that, and the studios are like, "Well, heck, if it has like a interesting title or pre-existing awareness, then people will show up regardless of whether or not the movie's good or not." And listen, I experienced a lot of that. You know, we were notorious at Fox, or I should say Tony Sella, was well known for taking movies that were complete crap and creating a trailer that made people think the movie was really good. Yeah. And then they show up and they're like, what the? And then eventually people caught on to that. And it was right around the 90s and the early 2000s that people finally figured out that we were really good at turd polishing. So (laughs) they uh, were like, I'm not going to trust... The, the, I mean, the other thing is also social media, obviously that would be my fifth reason right there because that eliminated the idea of, you know, a trailer being able to drive people because people would sit at home on Friday night and wait to see what the tweets were and Rotten Tomatoes, which basically was sort of a bring them all together. Oh, it's a 65%. Oh, screw that. I don't have time for that. So. I must feel like the 90s were the moment where Wall Street yeah. took over Hollywood. And you basically just had to produce and produce and produce. Um, and it became a big numbers game. We're talking billion dollar, um, you know, film releases. You know, not even a hundred million, which really, when you get a billion dollars per film release or hundreds and hundreds of million dollar opening weekends, um, there's big dollars in there. And I felt like the box office game was the one we were playing. And that's yeah. what we recognize now is like the box office game is over. It's not going to be about opening weekends. Dune is sounds like a great film. It can't be based on, on yeah. if it's a good film on yeah. it, on its opening weekend numbers. It's not going to happen because yeah. it's not the greatest movie of all time if you look at it from that point of view. But c- clearly, can't contend with the storyline. Um, well, that's a great. I, I like that tweet. And it got um, like, I like it, the way it was, he's thinking. There really, really is again. Some, this is what frustrates me ad nauseum about the trade press is nobody talked about it. Nobody covered it. Everyone just ignored it. And I was like, it's a really good conversation to have because this is the time to have those conversations because the industry is breaking 
and the old models are not working and you've got all these studio execs who are all raised in the old model and the, the light has been blinking red for 10 years now and they've all just ignored it and found other ways. Oh, oh, DVD's crashing. Oh, wait, we got international. Oh, no, international's crashing. Oh, wait, we still have China. And now it's like, okay, that's all broken now, guys. So let's sort of... Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a really good film school conversation, isn't it? Just like how, how things really where, work. Where can we fix um, where, it? How they so play out, why we're making get, certain decisions. The, it, well, yeah, it, it, where can we fix it so we can also start bringing in new talent because that's the other thing the industry has to worry about. No one's moving to LA to work in the business yeah. anymore. Like that's not happening. It's, all you're getting is a bunch of studio exec kids who are just filling them. Uh, yeah, yeah, moved to Korea. No, Korea. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> just, I mean, they, they, if they want to be drawing innovative talent, <laughs> no, they have to become innovative again, and they're just not doing it. And you're, you're. Yep, I think absolutely. that that's what we're going to keep talking about every yep. single week. Is that the opportunity is now, and because the scorecard is changing. Um, it really is important to make get this conversation beyond just the, the tweets every once in a while Absolutely. but see what kind of influence Agree. this conversation can have in Hollywood and make a difference. All right, my next friends. So week next, we, week uh, next week, we have Richard us. Rushfield from uh, The Ankler who will be returning. Oh, uh, uh, that's great. Yeah, I, you know, I we should bring I up wanna, that I want to ask him if he him, saw it, sure what his thoughts has. are on it. and I don't think he covered it in The Ankler, but um, I'm definitely curious yeah. what his thoughts are. And, you know, I'll... Are you going to ask Maybe. him to contribute to your I, newsletter? I can bring it up. I mean, yeah, why not? Can, and uh, he's got the entertainment entertainment strategy guy um, All right. contributing. <laughs> Richard, as you're watching yeah, this, start this episode, he can, he can write mine. Right I'll write now. his. Be it's ready for it. So Richard's uh, next week. Two weeks, two weeks from, from now, now is... we potentially have Cami Sargent. I don't want to make any promises because I haven't committed to her yet. Um, and then Andy we have uh, Thomas Jagais will be returning as well. And we've got some other really cool guests coming up in the future, but I don't want to spoil anything. I'm going to keep that Hollywoodism and be like, I can't talk about it because okay. it's super no secret. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll see you Tuesday. That'll All right, well, awesome. I'll see you Tuesday in New York City. And uh, maybe, maybe I can steal you away and make you go to yeah, the theater might, with me uh, and watch too. We'll that's what I'm waiting for we'll in New York City. Maybe there. Uh, Lydia, thank you so much for pulling this off and making it happen. I know that you're busy today and you're still made time for us. We appreciate you and all the work you do for us. Connor, the fact you show up and help us with the titles on a weekly basis, we couldn't do it without you, including your baby picture from Sears that got our conversation started this morning. So thanks for that. And Michelle, I know you're finding these clips and you're putting it out there. So thanks to the hard work you're doing, the Go Social team and all the folks are making this happen. We appreciate you especially if you are a viewer and you're telling your friends to watch this at this point, if, if each one of you told one of your friends to tune in and subscribe to Hollywood breaks, we would have twice as many people that w went to see Dune last week. <laughs> oh. So keep it up. We're going to beat the Dune numbers right here. on Hollywood Breaks. <laughs>